Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our must-read daily newsletter. This week on Highways Voices, we look at how the highways industry can help to deliver an electric vehicle charging network. This is eight years to do an awful lot of stuff. It is. However, I do sort of look at this as in the context of other infrastructure that's been done in the UK in the past. And when you think of the fibre deployment that's taking place across the UK, this isn't impossible. The CEO of Connected Curb is our guest this week as we talk about the phasing out of internal combustion engines by 2030. Can it be done? And if so, how? A supercharged episode this week on Highways Voices. Highways Voices, in association with partner organisations ADEPT, the Transport Technology Forum, ITS UK and Elkrig. Chris Pateman-Jones joins us in a couple of minutes and a fascinating interview it is too. First though, let's get a flavour of some of the dozens of stories we've run in the last week on highways-news.com. Here's Adrian Tatum. News from the highwaysnews.com website and daily newsletter this week includes a story about Nottingham City Council. It has developed the first Oyster-style contactless ticketing system outside of London. The new Nottingham contactless multi-operator tap-and-go option is available across the city on buses, NET trams and link buses operated by CT4N. This will allow people to tap on with contactless bank cards or phones throughout the day and pay one daily charge capped at the best fare for their travel at that time, regardless of which fee operators they use or however many journeys they make on that day. The technology was developed with the help of the £2.7 million from the government's National Productivity Fund and the Transforming Cities programme. Benefits include the cashless payments, fares capped to the best day for the travel across three main local operators and quicker boarding. Elsewhere, Cornwall County Council has started a trial that will see bus fares cut in an attempt to encourage more residents and visitors out of their cars and on public transport. The launch of the cut price bus fare pilot in Cornwall will mean ticket prices will be reduced between 20 and 40 percent. The four year scheme, which is backed by the government, will measure what impact lower fares have on the number of cars on the road. It is hoped it will make it easier for Cornish people to get around and also tempt visitors to visit the county's beaches, moors, towns and attractions by bus rather than by car. And then uh, finally, cameras and sensors could be fitted to e-scooters to prevent them being ridden on pavements in the future. The London Evening Standard newspaper reports firms involved in Transport for London trial of rental e-scooters are considering using technology to inform them when battery-powered vehicles are being ridden illegally and potentially bringing them to a halt. On top of this, you can read about SEA being chosen to support Bristol's clean air zone, while London's ultra-low emission zone sees more compliance than expected. And you'll be able to see a video of a confused policeman who pulled over a driverless car. You can read about these and so many more stories at highways-news.com. Remember to sign up to our Twitter and LinkedIn pages too and to our daily email where you get the news into your inbox every lunchtime. We're the only place you need to go for everything you need to know. We are Highways News. Highways Voices with Paul Hutton and Adrian Tatum. Swarco improves quality of life by making the travel experience safer, quicker, more convenient and environmentally sound. From software-as-a-service traffic management solutions to parking, VMS, EV charging and road marking too, 
Find out how Swarco can deliver more efficient and safer traffic management. Swarco, the better way every day. 2030, it's a date etched on our minds when the way we propel new cars changes for good as electric cars are the only new ones that can be sold in the UK. But is it achievable? Can we deliver a charging network fit for purpose in time? One company delivering solutions is Connected Curbs. So to give us an idea of what is possible, I sat down with CEO. Chris Paintman Jones, who told me it's doable but not easy. It's a, a really big challenge that I think all of us face, both I suppose as industry in terms of deploying enough charging points and importantly educating the population so they understand it, but also us all individually actually choosing to make what often is underestimated by the industry, but for all of us individually is quite a big decision to make that transition. Positively, people seem to be really on board with it. I'm seeing over the years now, increasingly people wanting to understand more about this and people actually getting excited about some of the new vehicles that are coming out. So there does seem to be a growing appetite. It's been really nice to see over the pandemic over the last two years that that appetite has grown and grown and grown. So where two, three years ago, people sort of thought we were a little bit nuts and a bit sort of fringy. Now, actually, people are properly on board and are wanting to come and have a conversation because we've sort of almost become the cool kids. We were sort of quite niche, but now actually people want to have a conversation with us about it. I think to your question around this is eight years to do an awful lot of stuff. It is. However, I do sort of look at this as in the context of other infrastructure that's been done in the UK in the past. And when you think of the fibre deployment that's taking place across the UK, this isn't impossible. There is huge opportunity here, and there's also a huge opportunity for us to combine the deployment of technologies. So if we're really sensible about this, we should be putting things out together. I think what's really important is that we deploy the right technology to serve the whole of society. So a part that really worries me when I think about that short eight-year period is that you can see from the data that if you don't have a driveway, basically at the moment you don't own an EV, unless you're a very, very small non-minority. And that's because people seek convenience in charging. They want to be able to charge at home where it is most convenient for them to be able to charge their car. The problem is, is that a lot of society is unable to charge at home on their driveways without going into the sort of politics of this. Equally in urban areas, it's disproportionately poorer parts of society that don't have access to off-street parking and equally who live in urban areas where air quality is poorest and where you could argue actually there's the greatest need for EV charging and EV adoption. So those are some of the things I really worry about, but I'm pretty optimistic actually. When I look at the forecast that we set out as Connected Curb, as to what we think we can reasonably achieve by 2030. If we do that, we will have enabled millions and millions of people to make the transition to EV. What if I might, just without rambling, also say is that we get fixated on 2030. Actually, 2030 is just the date when no new non-EVs can be sold by. It's not the full transition date. So actually, there is a huge amount of work that's going to need to be done beyond 2030. I think the big question is going to be how widely adopted is EV going to be by then? And how can we make it as accessible as we possibly can for everyone in society, not just those people who have driveways by 2030? Because there is that risk that basically by 2030, it will just be people who have driveways owning EVs if we don't solve the sort of the public charging conundrum. So how are we going to solve the conundrum of, of being able to reach people who have on-street parking or perhaps live in blocks of flats or just other places where they can't just park their EV right outside their front door? 
I think, a combination of solutions. So I think it's happening less and less now, but there was a time when people would sort of come up with these sort of binary solutions to solve all the problems of EV. I think there's a growing recognition now that there's going to be a combination of solutions that are going to fix this. There's going to be a mixture of rapid, ultra rapid and sort of the slow, fast charging in workplaces, car parks and on residential streets. And it's going to have to be, this is the complexity I think in it, is it's going to have to be based on the local area and the local need. We've tried to build something which is as flexible in those scenarios as it can possibly be. I think what you have to do, though, is use data to choose where the sites are and to choose what type of technology it is. And so rather than speaking in specifics to something which you can't really do in this in this context, I use, I'll sort of talk around the generalities. And, and as a business, we think of three things that are fundamental to anyone who's going to be adopting an EV. And that is basically access to convenient, affordable and reliable charging infrastructure. And again, without sort of wanting to harp back to the difference between on-street and off-street parking, i.e. if you have a driveway, the reason that 90% of charging takes place on people's driveways is because it is the most convenient, affordable and reliable place they can charge. So whatever the solution is for those who don't have a driveway, it has to deliver on those three things. And again, without wanting to become socially sort of motivated on this, if you charge in your driveway at home, you pay 5% VAT. If you charge publicly, you pay 20% VAT. You also pay more for your charging and you suffer that lack of convenience. So we have to overcome that. Again, thinking of the fact that often people who have driveways are the people who are able to afford to buy EVs today. So EV is not equitable at the moment, and it really needs to be. And that's the whole focus of our business. I was going to bring up actually there about the fact that Quentin Wilson, who was one of the Top Gear presenters many, many years ago, is campaigning for fair charge on exactly that point that you can pull up to a charger and really have no idea how much you're going to be paying and it can vary wildly so we're still kind of almost i get the impression in the wild west time of ev charging to an extent where we haven't quite settled down and worked out what the rules are that's very true well it's true to an extent i think there are a number of uh, networks now are trying to increase the transparency of of the tariffs that they apply Certainly as us, again, as a business, our focus is on that affordability, reliability and convenience piece. And we are trying, in fact, actually to be able to reduce the prices as far as possible. I think the focus I would say on that is your ability to be able to manage tariffs is your ability to be able to manage power. So very difficult market at the moment because of what's happening in the power market. That said, the more intelligent a charging system you put in and the more intelligent a network you deploy, the more opportunity you have to be able to manage power. Our whole focus as a business is to be able to deploy a network which allows us to manage power effectively to be able to reduce price over time. So we are trying to get to a point where you can make a direct comparison to someone who is charging at home on their driveway using one of the wonderful octopus or bulb or other sort of tariffs that are out there um, for you to be able to get cheap EV charging and actually directly compare that to public charging. At the moment, you can't there is a big difference in price. Now, the government can help us with that VAT piece, but what we're trying to do is to effectively manage power publicly so that you can get the advantages of those cheap tariffs. If I might just highlight one really cool project we did earlier this year called Agile Streets, and because I think it reinforces the point I'm making about intelligence. If you deploy dumb charging networks publicly, you don't get any sophistication in charging, and therefore you're at the mercy of the power networks and, and, and power prices. 
if you can optimize charging, which in long dwell locations, residential locations, you can, and you can already do this if you have a driveway, right? So you can schedule your charging to take advantage of cheaper prices. Essentially, we did a project called Agile Streets with Bayes, Octopus, Samsung, and a few of the universities earlier this year. And we were able to demonstrate that we can do that in public charging. And we can save the user up to 40% on the cost of charging, which is huge. So it means in a public setting, in that instance, we were offering, I think, 18 or 19p per kilowatt going through the system, which when you consider the fact that you haven't had to buy anything, you haven't had to pay for the installation of a charging point, is actually comparable then to a home charging solution. So, and the beauty of that system was not only are you delivering value to the consumer, but you're also tackling one of the other really big problems with EV charging when you scale, which is how do you do this in a way that not only doesn't damage the grid, but actually offers a support to the grid. So in that setting where we can forecast load coming onto the grid and we can modulate load going onto the grid, you could actually be in a situation where you're able to try and take more power when it's cheap and available and therefore support the grid in future. So that's the vision we're working towards and and therefore you can start to try and drive prices down for the consumer. That's Chris Pateman-Jones, our guest here on Highways Voices this week. He's the CEO of Connected Curb, talking about how we can roll out a fit-for-purpose electric vehicle charging network. We'll hear more from him in a moment, but first, let's hear from Lucy with our partner news. Highways Voices, with the latest news and events from our partner organisations, Elkrig, Adept, the Transport Technology Forum and ITS UK. The Local Council Roads Innovation Group, LCRIG, is promising members they will be making the case for local roads after unveiling the phrase as its new strapline. The group has also launched a new mission statement along with a set of overarching objectives which reflect how the group is working on behalf of the sector. Valued at £400 billion, the local highway network is the largest and most visible community asset for which local highway authorities are responsible. It's used daily by most people and is fundamental to the economic, social and environmental well-being of the country. Elkrig will be using a Making the Case stamp to show projects and initiatives that have directly led to savings for the sector and or examples of where money has put back in as a result of work carried out. The group said it wanted a strapline that reflects the group today, that expresses its values and ticks all aspects of what it does. At Elkrig, they say, we are constantly making the case for local roads, so it makes sense that this is our strapline. It is important that we represent the views of our members and ensure that their voices are heard. We will be putting a focus on highlighting the value of local roads and will continue to work hard to make change happen. Through both our own initiatives and by highlighting the work of others, we'll be showing how the case for local roads is being made. You can find out more at lcrig.org.uk. Meanwhile, Adept says last week's announcement from the Department for Transport of £30 million for Live Labs 2 is fantastic news for it and the wider highways sector. Building on the success of the first Adept Smart Places Live Labs programme, also funded by DFT, the new three-year project has expanded in scope and ambition. Now UK-wide, Live Labs 2 aims to address the decarbonisation of local roads and highways through focusing on transport infrastructure. The ambition to create net-zero highways will start in earnest in late spring when the publication of the Live Labs 2 prospectus is expected. Meanwhile, keep an eye on the Adept website for more details. On the ITS UK website, you can read comments from three new members, their organisations, operations and outlined their plans for their involvement in the society. Representatives of Balfour Beatty, Amalo Consulting and Wood all joined ITS UK executive members on the latest council meeting in London, which was also streamed to participants online. And the TTF's chair, Steve Gooding, says that next month's TTF conference is a great opportunity for the sector to come together and share ideas, best practice and real world use cases to make road transport more sustainable, efficient and safe. 
The event takes place in Liverpool on the 17th, 18th and 19th of May. Mr Gooding says central government is enthusiastic about using transport technology to tackle the challenges we face and showcase what UK technology providers can do. This event is an opportunity for local authorities and potential suppliers to share the latest views, pose questions and make connections that could result in better traffic outcomes for us all. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Highwaysnews.com. This is Highways Voices and our guest is CEO of Connect curb Chris Pateman Jones next in our chat we talked about exactly where the charge points need to be as a business we started again with the idea that we were trying to serve the significant portion of society that we think don't have a driveway now the figure there is often quoted as being around 40 percent but that is underrepresenting, we think, the problem because it, it doesn't recognise people living in rented accommodation. It doesn't recognise people who have dedicated parking but who aren't able to put a charging point in, for example, anyone living in a flat. So we think the number is actually around 60%, 62% of the population. And actually, if you look at urban areas, it's far higher. So Glasgow, the quoted figure there is about 87% of the population reliant on public charging. So we started the business focused on that group. And that meant that our starting point was to look at local authorities. What increasingly we realised when we spoke to local authorities was they were quite interested in how could they electrify their car parks. And that then also got us thinking about commercial and workplace car parking. So we've broadened as a business to focus on those. And we also now, obviously, because of our relationships with local authorities, also work a lot with large scale developers who will often have joint venture relationships with local authorities or will take the local authorities' guidance. So one of our big clients is Barrett David Wilson Homes. We have a flagship project with them called Witchelstow, just outside of Swindon. It's 3,000 homes, which will all have access to charging points. So, yeah, we started off with the local authorities, but broadened. Still, a core part of our business is the local authority space. So a couple of contracts of merit to mention would be probably the biggest one in the world, we think, outside of China is the West Sussex contract. So that's for 7,000 charging points to be deployed across West Sussex. We also have other really interesting projects with the likes of Kent. So we now have, this is our third big project with Kent. We're doing about 600 charging points across Kent in the car parks there. So those aren't public on street, whereas the ones in West Sussex are a blend of car parks and on street residential sort of locations. And then we've also got ones with Cambridge. So across all of the car parks in Cambridge, um, there'll be charging points going in Coventry across residential streets. So it does vary. Essentially, they're all long dwell locations and they're all aimed on serving that use case for people who can't charge on their driveway. Although even if you do have a driveway, Paul, you could turn up and charge. We wouldn't stop you. What are you finding when it comes to actual usage? Once you've put the charge points in, how often are they being used? And kind of the reason I'm asking this is, is it a case of build it and they will come? Or when you were talking earlier about understanding demand and and modelling where the demand would be, you're putting charge points in where already you know that the moment they're there, people are going to use them? So this is a really, really big question. And it comes back to if you're wanting to try and tackle this problem, you have to accept that when you put a charging point in, someone isn't going to immediately turn up and use it. People won't adopt an EV until the charge point is there. But people can't automatically, because of the cost of a vehicle, they can't just automatically, and the wait, the lead, lead times to get a vehicle, you can't assume that there will be a vehicle there the next day to charge. So you have to be able to deploy in a way which means that you can accept low utilisation for the first few years. So this is, again, comes back to the point that this is infrastructure. You have to deploy in a way which allows you to earn money back over a long period of time. So we did some research a few years ago, and we found 
that the average lifespan for a charge point in the UK was five to seven years. That is pretty shocking. And actually, when you put it into context, it means that every charge point that's been deployed to date will need to be re- replaced by the time we get to 2030. In actual fact, those from 2023 onwards would need to be replaced before 2030, which is bonkers. So we designed our system to be different. We designed it to have a 15 to 25-year lifespan. It's a modular infrastructure, which the there's the infrastructure under the ground, then there's the charge point that sits within it, and then there's the socket that sits above the ground. So the durability is there and the lifespan is there. That means that we can then attract long-term finance, so infrastructure finance, which accepts lower levels of utilisation, but over a much longer period of time. And that means we can get over that sort of low utilisation piece. So that hopefully answers the that sort of piece of it. If I, if I may, I'd just like to talk a little bit around what we expect in terms of the utilisation. And again, kind of Highways the Voices, the podcast and this is around the contract lengths that you should be going for. So if you offer me a short-term contract of four or five years, as a someone run, trying to run a profitable business, I should only go to wealthy areas because they are the only ones that are likely to be able to adopt at mass scale enough for me to be able to earn a return on the investment in that period of time. However, if you give me a 15 to 25 year contract, I could go, actually, I probably wouldn't go to those areas because commuting distances are lower in those areas because people do what we're doing today. We work from home or actually they don't work at all because they may be retired or actually they live close to really good transport links and therefore have public transport. And actually, maybe I can go to poorer areas where commuting distances tend to be higher. Transport links may be less good. So you can tackle some of these social inequity again if you focus on those longer term contracts. What you do have to be aware of, though, in those in those poorer areas is that it may be longer for people to actually adopt. So if you go again, go to High Street Ken, people can probably afford to buy an EV today on average as a big general generalization. Whereas if I go to some of the poorer areas, I may get a slower adoption curve, but I may get higher asset utilization. We have spent a lot of time over the last year building what is genuinely an AI platform for us to be able to identify sites and to be able to profile what likely adoption curves are going to be in areas based on wealth, commuting distances, and all kinds of other different things that are within there. When we talk about inclusivity, we don't just talk about financial inclusivity. We also talk about disability. We've been doing some really interesting work with Motability over the last sort of 18 months, looking at the accessibility of our charging points as, as they're deployed. And we'll be making some public announcements in goals as a business around the proportion of charging bays that we have that are accessibly designed. I think to that point, when I talk about this, I talk about accessibility rather than disability. And our view on that is it's because access, greater accessibility is good for everyone in society. I think of whether I have my small children in the back of the car, having accessible bays is good for everyone. I think the challenge that we have to be aware of is that delivering accessible bays is easier in some environments than others. So any of the listeners here would recognise that in a car park where you've got nose-in parking, greater accessibility is far easier than, for example, on a residential street, where actually from a disability perspective, we as an operator have to think about not only the driver, but also pedestrians. So actually who may have disabilities themselves. So we have to think about it in a bit of a broader context. But yeah, disability access and vulnerability access is something that's very important to us as a business. Just to finish, Chris, I wanted to pick up on the education side of things, because what I find quite often, you mentioned education at the beginning of the uh, conversation. And I think often we in any industry are very good at telling each other how clever we are and what great ideas we've got, but we're not very good at actually sharing that with the people that are eventually going to use it or benefit from the innovations. But it sounds to me that 
you're not only having to necessarily educate the actual end user as to how the charge point network is going to work, the fact that they can confidently get an electric vehicle, but you also, it sounds like, going to have to educate the policymakers on exactly how best to deliver the network in order to get the outcomes that they intend to get. I agree completely. On on the point of the policymakers, there's also the challenge that this isn't their day-to-day job. It's one of the many different things that they have to do, particularly in local councils who are incredibly stretched. And they're also dealing with some organisations that are still sort of pitching the binary, the only solution here is an ultra-rapid charging point in a petrol station forecourt which is not the solution in the long run. It's one of the solutions that is needed. So I think they're in a very, very difficult position. And again, the way we try and tackle that is with data. So we try and provide our data as transparent as we possibly can to again show that it's one of the solutions. We think it's the predominant solution. So 90% of charging will be in slow, fast locations in these long dwell places, which enable you to do the power piece. So yes, it is very, very difficult. To the user piece, the analogy I always have is that I'm a fanatic. So I am obsessed with this. It's I live and breathe it. I'm really lucky that I that I'm so engaged with it. My family have to live with me like this. And they are, I'd say, probably two years behind where the market actually is. And they live with me. And, and they're all very interested people. So for them to be as far as far behind says where actually probably the rest of society is. And so I think there is real need for centralized campaigns to really help people to understand what the transition is like from a um, non-commercial perspective, from a trusted party, almost like during the 1980s, there was that buckle up campaign. That's the sort of thing that needs to be done here to really help people to understand what's going on. And then I I suppose the role that we try and play in that is, aside from the centralized campaign that can potentially also myth bust a little bit of the some of the negative campaigning you hear around EV, where I sometimes feel that when I read the newspapers, they're slightly schizophrenic. One day, the news is incredibly positive about EV. The next day, it's really not. So some consistency and myth busting would be useful. But then specifically where we come in is whenever we deploy, wherever we deploy, because we're a commercial organization, we're incentivized to help people to make the transition and to understand. So we will not deploy with local authorities that do not allow us to go and engage the community. And we seek to do that in partnership with councils. So councils typically are incentivized to get our network to work because they want to get vehicles on the road that are EV. So engaging the local community is really, really, really important because it is a big, it's a big jump for a lot of people to make, to move from an ICE vehicle that they've driven for years, that they understand how to um, fill up rather than charge, to then switching to something which, when you actually get to know it, is far more convenient, not to mention the driving experience, but you don't realise that when you start because you only hear about the negativity around some of the older legacy charging assets rather than some of the fantastic networks that are out there. So a confident but realistic view of what we need to do to deliver a charge point network from Chris Pateman-Jones of Connected Curb there. And this is such an important issue. I'm sure we'll be returning to it regularly in the weeks and months to come here on Highways Voices. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Time's almost up, but before we go, we've just got time for... Adrian's accolade. Adrian, who wins this week? My accolade this week, well, it's a double win for Clearview Intelligence. The uh, Highways and Transport Solution Providers have won the Small and Business Award for the Milton Keynes Business Achievement Awards. 
company was recognised for its commitment to support infrastructure locally. And through its research channels, it found that they were scoping the market for active travel in Milton Keynes. Working in collaboration with the Forward Thinking Council departments in Milton Keynes, they are currently trying their latest click light active road studs to delineate the road lanes on Patriot Drive in the city to enhance road safety and reduce road accidents. So not only have they won that this week, but they're a worthy winner of my accolade. So that's Adrian's accolade. This week, and well done to Clearview Intelligence, and that's Highways Voices 2 for this week. Thanks for your company today, and join me again next week, where we're due to talk traffic management software with TRL. Catch you then. Highways Voices. Join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry.